some things in life are harder than they appear. Like you see somebody doing something on TV or in real life and you think, man, I could do that. That looks pretty easy. And then you attempt it and you realize this is harder than it seems. Anybody ever had one of those experiences, right? Like uh, riding an electric scooter. My kids got one of those for Christmas one year. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the two handles. You think, boy, that looks easy. And you get on that thing and you find out that somewhere along 35 or 40, all coordination seems to have gone out the window. Or when I was a kid, I had a uh, slide puzzle. You know what slide puzzles are? The things they used to entertain kids with. So it was a little square thing and you slid the tiles around to make the puzzle. My particular puzzle was of the greatest television show in the history of the world, Dukes of Hazard. All right. Can I get a yeehaw from it out there? All right, Bo and Luke Duke, and it had them with the General Lee in there, and you had to slide around. When you first look at it, you think, boy, I can get that together quick. But you realize that every time you slid a tile, it caused a bigger problem, right? Or for me, growing up, the Rubik's Cube was that, right? You look at it like, oh, that'll be easy, and then you spend an hour, and you have it more messed up than when you got there, right? Well, following Jesus is harder than it seems. I mean, actually following Jesus is more difficult than it appears at first. And so today we're going to talk about, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? And you think, why are we talking about that in a series that we're called Amnesty? We just saw a video about forgiving people because I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus has forgiven us is to follow him. That we're forgiven, not just that the point of the gospel is not just our personal forgiveness of sins, but that it is to enable us to follow him, to take the gospel to the nations as well. And so we're in the midst of this series called Amnesty, where we've been focusing on the forgiveness that God gives us and then what we are to do with that forgiveness. And the first week we talked about that God, Jesus loves us with an all encompassing, never ending, always pursuing love. And we look at the end of the book of John, where he is describing what's happening with Peter, and he he appears to the disciples as a whole, and then narrows down a focus on Peter, forgives him for denying him three times, and reinstates him to ministry. And we talked about that Jesus always is seeking after us, that there's nothing you can do to get beyond his love. The second week, during our family worship experience, we talked about the fact that without Jesus, we can do nothing, and that it is required, just like the disciples who were fishing after the resurrection didn't catch anything, that without Jesus, we can do nothing. And then two weeks ago, we took a break last week from Mother's Day, but two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that if we've been forgiven by Christ, we are required to forgive other people. Remember, we had a short statement, right? Forgiven people forgive. All right, a couple of you got it, right? Forgiven people forgive. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to kind of continue to look at that story at the end of the book of John and pull out a couple of other things that I believe that forgiveness brings responsibility to us. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're going to anchor. That's where we're going to be mainly. But we're also, I'm going to share with you just a little bit of the end of John 21 so that we can remind ourselves about that story and then look at what it means to follow Jesus. 
So in John chapter 21, we have this moment when they've been out fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. Jesus walks up and says, just cast on the other side. They cast, they pull in 153 fish. They get them into the boat while they're doing all that. Peter jumps out, runs to it because he realizes because John has told him that's Jesus. He gets there. Jesus is building a fire over charcoal. They're putting the fish that they've cooked. Jesus is cooking breakfast for them. They sit down, they share a meal together. And then the focus of the story kind of focuses down just on Peter. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these other apostles love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved when he asked him the third time. That's because Peter had denied him three times. Peter is remembering that moment and realizing at the same time that Jesus is reinstating him. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Now he's going to tell him, because it's going to get difficult from here. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be exciting always. It's going to be difficult. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. You took care of yourself. You went wherever you wanted to. You determined your steps. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now, that was a picture in their day of hands being tied and carried where they did not want to go. It was a picture of crucifixion, the way Peter would die. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would die. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Follow me. Now, the reason that's highlighted is because I think that is the last step in the reinstatement of Peter. Because he says, Peter, you're forgiven. I've forgiven you. I've given you the three times. We've done the dance with the three things. And we'll talk next week about feed my lambs and shepherd my sheep. We'll talk about that next week. But the point is, you are forgiven. Follow me. And the reason I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4 is because the words follow me that you have here were the very first words that Jesus ever said to Peter. And so when Jesus is there in that day and he says, follow me, immediately in Peter's mind, the scenario is the same. In fact, we're going to look at the Matthew story, but if you look in the Luke story of this, when Jesus says, follow me, this is after they've been out on a night fishing. They didn't catch anything. He tells them to throw them the other side of the boat. They finally get it in. They can't even haul it in. And then he says, hey, hey, follow me. And so the point Jesus is making is the call to you today is the same call that you had at the beginning, and it is simply to follow me. Here's the conviction that I've developed over my almost 17 years of ministry. Is that I know a lot of people who simply lack the resolve to genuinely follow Jesus. And they follow when it's easy, when they've got a good support system, when a good environment's around them, when everything's going well. When the checkbook looks good and life seems to be great. But when it gets difficult, they don't follow. And the lesson that I've learned in my life is that actively, actually following Jesus is hard. At least at the level to which we're going to talk about today, which is the level that he expects from us, which is the level of the simple disciple of Jesus following 
him. And there's an irony in it because John 10.10 tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, has come to what? To give us life and give it what? More abundantly. And so we know that our best life, the best quality of life we can have, our most purposeful life, our most significant life is following Jesus. Psalm 1611 tells us in the Old Testament that in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And Psalm 8410, it tells us that better is one day in the presence of God than 10,000 anywhere else. And yet we're told over and over again that following Jesus is not easy. It's the best life. It's the most amazing life. It is the fulfilling life. But it's not easy. In Matthew 16, he tells us that we're going to have to take up our cross. We're going to have to sacrifice ourselves. In Luke 9.23, he says, If anyone, if anyone, if anyone would follow after me, he first must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. And so when you read about what it means to follow, when you read this command to Peter to follow me, it's more than just you've got to agree with a few things and a set of facts intellectually. It's more than you just got to be emotional about your relationship with me a few times a year. It's more than you're just going to be a good moral person. It's more than just getting yourself to church or being involved in a ministry or having a good reputation. There's something about this following Jesus that is about a relationship, that is about surrender, that is about a Fulfilling the mission that God has called us to do. And what I want us to see today, what I want us to understand today, is the actual definition or the actually what it takes to follow Jesus. And then ask the question, are we doing that? Because that's the call he gives to the first disciples. That's the call he gives to Peter. That's the call he gives to you and to me. In our lives, it is simply to follow him. So here's what following Jesus means following jesus means going wherever he calls whenever he asks to do whatever he wants it's going wherever he calls whenever he asks to do whatever he wants now i just wanted to tell you real quick i mentioned this to the people upstairs running uh, the screens today Uh, i'm a southern boy with some stuff in my throat So sometimes when I say where, whenever, whatever, it all kind of runs together, all right? But the point is, whenever he calls, I go. Wherever he tells me to go, I go. Whatever he wants me to do, I do. Any other form of my following of Jesus... Any other buts added to the end of statements from him? Any other, well, let me check, or I can't today, or next year perhaps, or not there, Jesus, or not that way, is not following him. Wherever, whenever, whatever. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 with me. It's going to be on the screen. You've got your Bibles. I'd like you to open there. If you've got it on your phones, have it pulled up. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. As he, that's Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, mending their nets, getting their nets ready. And he called them, in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. What I want us to do through this story and through another place where Jesus tells the excuses that people often have, I want us to be reminded that following Jesus means going wherever he calls, whenever he asks, to do whatever he wants. And the first part of that is that we will go wherever he calls. I love this passage because it's just so straightforward. It's just Walking along the thing, he sees these guys in a boat, he looks at them in the boat, and he says, follow me. Now, we know from other stories, other accounts of this particular calling, that they probably had had some interaction with him prior to this. There had been some kind of discussion prior to this. There had been some teaching moment where they had seen him prior to this. Even in the one story that we're not given the full details in this story about the fish and catching a load of fish. Like, we know that there probably had been some interaction But no interaction had prepared them for this moment when they abandoned everything they had to simply follow him. You know what I love about this story? Is that's the only instructions he gives and he doesn't give any details. We live in a detail-oriented society. If I send out an email and say, hey, we're going to get together next Thursday night as a church body, 7 o'clock, come. Well, what are we going to do? Well, do I need to bring anything? Well, who's going to be there? Well, where's it going to take place? Well, how long is it going to last? Right? That's for an event on a Thursday night. Y'all got to work on your communications at the church. We just, you're not telling us anything. You just told I me mean, you didn't give us any information about it. Jesus just says, follow me. You know what I love about, about the Lord? He really doesn't care to give you the destination as long as you're willing to be guided along the way. Anybody here ever use a GPS? Like most of us, right? You ever gotten a GPS and you didn't have a clue where you were going and you just followed the step-by-step directions to wherever it took you? Like you remember, some of you in this room, can you remember like going back and being a kid and like you got in the car and did not have a clue where you're going? You just got in the car because mommy and daddy are driving and they're taking directions here and there and turns here and turns there. And sometimes some things look familiar, but some things were weird and different. And you're just like, okay, whatever, I'm just along for the ride. Like the problem is when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, most of us have grown up and we think we know ways to be better and we think places we ought to go. And so the Lord says, follow me and just get on the path. And we're like in the car when the GPS gives us directions and we debate whether or not they're the best directions. Anybody here ever gone off of the GPS directions and decided you're going to go your own way? Well, she doesn't know about that shortcut. That woman in the, the woman in the box doesn't know where I'm supposed to go, right? All right, and you hear on the old ones, on the old garments that they used to have, that I used to have, that was you know you'd put on your windshield before all every phone had GPS. The old garment, it would just hear recalculating, right? You look down on yours now, it doesn't say things necessarily, but it like starts doing all kinds of calculations. You're like, uh, don't worry, I know, I know how to get there. Like, you don't have to help me here. This is a, I know what you're saying, but this is a better way, right? Um, I use the Waze app, um, and they let you use different voices on there. One of the ones they have on there is Mr. T. Anybody use Mr. T on Waze? 
And it's just like you would imagine Mr. T yelling at you directions, all right? And I wish they would put on there, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, like, yelling at me when I decide to take a different turn. Well, a lot of us are that way when it comes to God. God says, hey, follow me. And you're like, hey, God, that's, that's cool. You got a good idea. Hey, I, I know this way. This, this way would be better. Like, if we could just do it this way, if we could just go that way, it'd be better. Oh, oh, I know, I know, you, I know that you've kind of given me this idea of where you might want to go, but don't you think it'd be, be better if we went this place? But following Jesus means you say to him, wherever. I want you to notice, think about all these guys gave up. They gave up their comfort. This was all that was familiar to them. They grew up in a family of fishermen. It's what they had bent their whole life, had been bent towards, had been going towards, had been dedicated towards. They had a boat. They had a family business. This was comfort to them. They left their careers, their entire way of life. They left their possessions. Now, I want us to not think these guys weren't wealthy. They didn't have a ton of you know cars out in the back or a huge house. But they had a boat. They had a good living. They had a place to live. From all accounts, these were not the poorest of poor. They weren't wealthy. But they had stuff. And they left it. They left their position. Usually the only reason you went with a rabbi is because it raised your position in society. When they went with Jesus, he was an itinerant preacher from Galilee. Nobody thought, man, this guy's the savior of the world. They left their families. You know who I've always wanted to interview in this story? Zebedee. Like dad's in there fishing with his two boys. You that are dads know, like, man, this is dream life with your two boys, family business, passing it on to the next generation, and the boys get up and leave. Can you imagine that conversation when he got home with his wife that night? Hey, Zeb, where are the boys? I, I don't know. You don't know. Like, they were in the boat with you. Well, they left. They left. Where'd they go? They went with some guy. Some guy. What guy did they go? I didn't get any details, really. His guy came up and said, follow me. And they jumped out of the boat and they left. Don't you know that was a good conversation at home, right? Where are the kids? I don't, I don't know. Any of you dads ever had, this is just, just dads talking, okay? Um, moms, close your ears for a minute. Any of you dads ever had that moment when you're supposed to be watching the kids at the playground or something? Your wife's walked off for a second and she comes back and goes, hey, where are the kids? And you're like, uh, they were in this general vicinity about five minutes ago. Anybody? Y'all just leaving me out to dry here, all right? Okay. All right? They left their friends. They left their safety. Remember when Jesus is telling Peter what's coming? What's coming? Crucifixion. You see, it's much easier to say, I'll follow Jesus wherever when it's a general statement. But when it's an actual place and it means abandoning other things, that's where it gets hard. In Luke chapter 9, just a little bit after Jesus tells them in 9.23 that if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross daily and come after me, deny yourself. At the end of that chapter, it tells this story of some guys coming to Jesus and saying, hey, man, we want to follow you. Or Jesus asking some people, do you want to follow me? And every one of them, they're three in a row, give them excuses or don't, can't handle the request he makes. And the first one comes up and he says, Jesus, I'll go wherever you go. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, you have no clue what you're saying. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, you think you want to follow me because of the prestige and the position it will give me? 
But listen, if you follow me, it's going to be difficult and you won't always enjoy the moment. I have a place to live. From the scripture, we kind of get the idea that this guy's like, oh, okay, I don't know about that. You see, when you tell God, I'll go wherever you want, sometimes he'll say, well, what about there? And inside of you, you're like, oh. This past week on a Wednesday night, on Wednesday nights, uh, some of us in this church are reading through scripture. Not everybody that's reading through the Bible in a year is coming on Wednesday night, but several of us get together on Wednesday night and we talk about what we've read the week before. And this past week, we had read the book of Jonah. You may not know this about Jonah, but Jonah was a national hero. Um, he was part of the northern kingdom. He had been a prophet to the northern kingdom. There was a particular moment when their arch rivals, the, the, the ones that were coming to destroy them, the Assyrians, were getting ready to invade. And Jonah goes to the king, and this is recorded in the book of Kings. He goes to the king and he says, hey, king, um, the Assyrians are about to attack. God has shown me that. We need to build up our defenses in this particular area. We need to take care of it because they're coming and in several weeks. And if we don't do that, we're going to be destroyed. But if we can shore this place up, everything will be great. They do what he says. They listen to the prophet. Jonah um, sees his work fulfilled. The Assyrians come. They can't break through. And they are protected by God and by Jonah's prophecy from being attacked by their enemies. And Jonah is a national hero. He saved us from the Assyrians. He walked down the street. That's Jonah. You know, the one that saved us. And then in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah, the prophet of God, who his job is to do whatever, whenever, wherever. God says to Jonah, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh. Now, just a quick history lesson. Anybody know what Nineveh was the capital of? Assyria. Jonah, the national hero for protecting them from the Assyrians. And then God says, Jonah, I need you to go right into the capital and tell them about my grace. Tell them about my mercy. Tell them that judgment's coming if they don't turn. And Jonah says, nope. God, I'll go wherever you want to go. All right, I need you to go to Nineveh. No. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I need you to go to Nineveh. I think I'll go to Joppa. How many of you in this room have ever considered living outside the United States to take the gospel to the nations? How many of you have ever dreamed of, asked for, wanted, desired for your kids to spend their lives outside of the United States for the glory of God and the spread of his kingdom? How many of you have ever wanted for, desired for, thought for, prayed for that your kids, your grandkids, that you would be sent somewhere besides here for the glory of God to be spread among the nations? Because if in your mind your thought is, oh, I would never do that, then you are Jonah. God, I'll go wherever you want, then I need you in the Middle East. Oh, not not there. In that story, we talked about the fact that Jonah wanted his way more than God's will, that he desired his own comfort more than the gospel in other nations, that he knew the character of God in his head, but he ignored the compassion of God in his heart, that he failed to connect the mercy of God in his life with the mission of God in the world. And what Jesus is telling Peter at the end of John, what he is asking the disciples here, is to connect the fact that he has been blessed to be a part of knowing him with the mission that God has called us to do. You have been forgiven, Peter, Follow me. Wherever. I read a story last week that uh, 
David Platt, who's current president of the International Mission Board, told about being in a church and speaking. This is before he was ever a full-time pastor. He was invited to speak to this church, and he was there on Saturday night. He was going to speak on Sunday morning. He was eating supper with... Uh, with the uh, pastor and a couple of deacons, and as he's eating supper with the pastor and a couple of deacons, they're having discussion, and, and they're asking him about what he's doing, and he's talking about all these opportunities that he's got to go to other countries, countries that are not easy, countries that have people that are adverse to Christianity, and one of the deacons looked at him and said, Dave, I think it's great that you're going to all those places, but if you ask me, I would just as soon God annihilate all those people and send them to hell. David Platt said, I, I, I didn't know what to say. He said, I just sat there, like sweat beating on the back of my neck, like I'm about to, you know, this is probably, he said he wasn't even a pastor, he's a young guy, this guy says that, he sat in sun silence, and he said the crazy thing to me was the conversation went on that night like nothing else had ever happened. Like nobody thought, well, that's weird, I, you know, or nobody called him on that, the pastor or the other deacon, nobody called him on that. And so he gets up the next morning, and he's like, okay, I'm going to preach on making disciples to the nations, and it's going to be interesting, because I'm going to talk about that, we're all called to do that, and he said, well, I'm Telling them that they got to go wherever God has called them to go. He gets up on Sunday morning and he was there on the front row. And the preacher gets up to do the welcome. And sometimes in churches when preachers aren't going to get to preach, they preach at the welcome. Okay. I don't know anybody like that, but I've heard about it. All right. So he's kind of welcoming folks. And he said he doesn't know why. It wasn't 4th of July. It wasn't even close to 4th of July. But he's got on a patriotic you know, patriotic kind of thing. He starts just talking about that he would never live anywhere else outside the United States. That he was proud to be an American. He loved to live in this country and no other country in the world. He would not have it any other way. And he said amens were resounding throughout that room. Amen. Amen. It's the greatest nation on earth. I would never live anywhere else. <laughs> David Blatt's in there thinking, great, I'm about to get up and tell everybody they need to go to the nation's. Consider that God might be calling them somewhere else. So he got up and he preached on going to the nations and preached about God's call on their lives. And so at the end, as pastors do, when they have a guest speaker, he gets David Platt down front and he says, before we leave, I want to just say a couple of things. He said, David, we just want you to know that we are so thankful for all these places you're going to that we want to promise you this morning that we'll at least send some money to go with you as you go. As you go in place of us. He said that at that time, his wife was standing with him and she had his, her arm, kind of, they had their arms kind of around each other. He said he could feel her squeezing his shoulder like, just calm down, David. It'll, we're going to be out in a minute. And then he said this, the pastor. He said, at my last church, we had a missionary from Japan who came and spoke. And I told my church that if they didn't give to support this missionary in Japan, I was going to pray that God would send their kids overseas. He said, that day my church gave that pastor a laptop and everything he needed for his missionary endeavors. He said, I just never thought that the threat of your kids being a missionary was appropriate to people that are called to follow Jesus. What's your wherever that you say, oh, I'll go wherever, but these guys didn't have a clue when Abram's called he didn't have a clue. God just said, get up and go. I'll show you. Wherever it may mean whatever circumstances. It may mean wherever he calls you is not a good place. It may not be a safe place. And here's what I want to tell you. I know some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, God doesn't call every one of us to go overseas and to be in missions. And the answer is, you're right. He doesn't call every one of us. But my guess, and I said this on Wednesday night, my feeling, it's not a guess really, it's a Holy Spirit impression is that there are a lot more people that God is wanting to use overseas for the mission of God than are willing to hear that they want to be used for the mission of God overseas. 
And that if every believer in America was listening to God as God was speaking to them and they had all of the things out of their mind of what they can't do and can't go to, that there would be many more of us saying, can we go? How can we get there? What do we need to do? Following Christ means that we say, we will go wherever. I was touched this week by the story of the first uh, missionaries that were ever sent from the United States and Nadaram Judson. And uh, Adoram was 23, felt called to be a missionary to Burma, which didn't have any missionaries. He was in love with Anne, wanted to marry her. He was a year older than her and knew he needed to ask permission from her dad. And so in those days, one of the ways you did that was you wrote a letter. He didn't send an email or a text. He wrote a letter. Listen to the letter. This is the letter he wrote asking permission to marry Ann Judson. I have to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure, her subjection to the hardships of sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all of this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness? Now, my guess is that's not how your moment with your spouse's dad went. All right. I love her dad's response. He said, that's not my decision to make. He said, it's hers. And so she wrote a friend and said this. I feel willing and expect, if nothing in God's providence prevents, to spend my days in the world of lost lands. Her friend's name was Lydia. Lydia, I have come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God, in his providence, shall see fit to place me. So in 1813, they left for Burma. She would never be home again. In 1824, her husband was put in prison. He was there for 18 months. At night, they would take him and tie him up by his feet, where the only thing touching the floor were his shoulders and head. It was 110 degrees in those prisons. Mosquitoes were rampant and would eat him alive at night. When he was in prison, when he went in, Anne was pregnant, and she still walked two miles every day to plead with Judson to be released. After a year in prison, eating Rotting food, he wasted away, he had hollow eyes, he was dressed in rags, he was crippled from torture. His daughter Maria was born while he was in prison. She, Anne, was so sick that her milk dried up. The jailer actually let him out at night just so he could go through the throughout the village and ask um, for women, beg for women to nurse the baby that was dying because their mom's milk had dried up. Eventually released. And not long after that, at the age of 37, Anne, his wife, died from spotted fever. Because of their efforts, the entire Bible became translated into the Burmese language. There are 3,700 churches in Burma today, and they all trace themselves back to these two people. Because when God said wherever and pointed to Burma, They said yes. And I'll just say it this way. 
I don't think God intends for any of us who are blessed to live in this great nation. He never intends for any of us to spend our entire lives just impacting the few people that we come in contact in our daily lives. That he has given us too much not to be used by him to go wherever he asks. For a week, for a month, for a season, or for a life. Secondly, we go wherever and we go whenever. I love the responses. Verse 19 of chapter 4. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. He asked James, son of Zebedee, John. They're in their boat. He calls them. Verse 22. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Immediately. They didn't wait. They didn't postpone. They didn't think sometime else. I mean, we are people that are great at making excuses. There's some websites out there that give you great excuses. I saw a few of these online that I thought were, were, were funny or good. One was uh, someone called in late to work because the pharmacy was mixing up a special ointment he had to put on before he could come in. Another said that he was not going to be able to be at work today because his wife was scheduled to conceive a child. Some of you will get that at lunchtime. Some of you may need to have conversations at lunchtime about that, all right? One speaker had to cancel his speaking engagement, and this is the reason he gave. I punctured my eardrum by being too aggressive with my Q-tip. And who hasn't been there at some point in their lives, all right? We make great excuses. In Luke 9, the second excuse, Jesus turns to a guy and says, hey, follow me. And in 59 to 60, they says, the guy looks at him and goes, hey, I'll be glad to follow you. Let me go bury my father first. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. That seems insensitive, right? Like, can you imagine calling the church office and saying, hey, I need to talk to the pastor. I need to have a conversation with him. I just want to tell him I'm not going to be there Sunday because I've had someone in my family pass away. Those are difficult moments. And the pastor says, you be at church. Let the dead bury the dead. That's not sensitive. There would be a few phone calls to my office, I would imagine. The point of this, first of all, you need to understand that more than likely this guy's dad wasn't dead yet. He may have had a bum knee. He wasn't on the verge of death yet. What he's saying is when my dad dies in the future, when my parents are gone, probably when I get my inheritance, I'll be more secure, more settled, and then I can come follow you. I will follow you when. It's just not good timing right now, Jesus. It's just not good timing. The problem with I'll follow you someday is that someday never comes. I'll follow you when the kids get out of preschool, when the kids get out of elementary school, when we get through these high school years, when, uh, when the kids are established and um, I, I know where they're going to be living. I, I'll, I'll take care of it then, Jesus. When I get retired, when I'm done with work, when I'm retired, Lord, when I, when I stop taking care of my grandkids and traveling to see them, I'll really get locked in. And then someday never comes. There are some of you in this room that have lived through those spells of life or still are. Where you say, Jesus, you know, when I get through this part, I'm really going to focus on my spiritual life. We're like the people that are going on a diet and say, Jesus, right after I eat this entire pizza, I'm going to start on my diet. Right? When I get through with this, it's just a, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. It's just a wild phase. It's just a Soma wild oats phase. When I get through with that, Jesus, I'm really going to focus on following you. 
It's just a high school, Jesus. When I get through with high school, when I, when I take care of that, when, when, there's so many of my friends that aren't, but I'm, I'm going to go to a place where it'll encourage me spiritually. And when I, when I get through with high school, I'll take care of that. When the kid will sleep through the night, we'll, we'll worry about, well, I'll, I'll get all my life back in order, Jesus. But Jesus' call to follow has an RSVP date on it. It is today, not next week. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts. We go wherever, whenever, and we do whatever. Whatever he asks us to do. He tells them here what he wants them to do. He says, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. They didn't know what that meant. They're like, what do you mean fishers of men? We're fishers of fish. That's what fishers are. They fish for fish. What do you mean fishers of men? Well, we're going to go. We're going to talk to people about Jesus. We're going to tell them about me. We're going to tell them about the kingdom of God. We're going to tell them what's going to happen. Come with me. Join me. And whatever else following Jesus meant in that day, wherever it meant, one of the things that was there was that it meant telling people about him. Over in Luke chapter 9, the third excuse, the guy comes up and says, hey, let me go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus looks at him and says, no man is effective who puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Like when you are called to follow me, focus on the mission that I have given you and work through it. He's saying, I don't want any divided affections. It's going to be hard enough as it is. He is extremely worth it. We are to follow him Completely. There's this great story in the Old Testament. There's a contrast to Jonah. When God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go. Jonah says, no. God has through Elijah is going to anoint Elisha as the next prophet. It gets confusing with Elijah and Elisha, but Elijah's the older one. He's going to Elisha and he says, God's called you. He goes and he throws his mantle upon him. Elisha chases him down. He says, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever. And then he is plowing with the oxen and he takes the plows and he breaks them down and he builds a bonfire and he cooks his oxen for barbecue and invites (coughs) invites the neighborhood. Come eat. I'm done with this life and I'm focused on what God called me to do. Whatever that means. He literally burned the plows and the oxen and gave it away. And I don't know whatever is for you, but I can tell you what it will result in. Three things. Glorifying the Father, drawing you closer to Jesus, and proclaiming the gospel. Whatever it is in your life will lead you to glorify God, draw you closer to Jesus, and proclaim the gospel. And here's the simple reason. We have been given the greatest news that has ever been given in the history of the world. And when you have good news, you share it. How many of you here have watched a Preds playoff game in the last few days? All right, I see those hands. All right, now, how many of you not named Decker or Jackson have watched a Preds regular season game sometime this year when you didn't get free tickets to go. We got a few, right? But the number of hands was decidedly less. Why is everybody watching the Preds games now? Because they've got a chance to win, right? Like we've never been this far before. And this town has gone nuts. Nuts for this, Right? I mean, we love the fact that we're this little undiscovered city, although Asheville's been the it city for like 45 years. Like, nobody knows about us, and nobody knows about our hockey team. 
you know, even though the All-Star game was here last year. And we love the fact Eternal Sports and they're talking about how loud the crowds are in Smashville. And everybody's talking about this plucky little eighth-seeded team. It feels like this is just right. We're the little town that can't do anything that's going to rise to the Stanley Cup. Everybody's rallying behind it. People are out. In, have you seen the crowds outside of Bridgestone Arena? Have you seen? Like people watching on a big screen TV. The game's happening in the arena. And they're outside of it, going nuts, watching together. It's become a community thing. I was upstairs today trying to get my things into the all my notes and stuff that you see on the screen into the screen, make sure it's finalized. And and John Carpenter, Mary Rochelle up there talking about the hockey game last night. I've never heard them talk about a hockey in my life. If you would have told me 20 years ago this town would be crazy about hockey, like football, okay, hockey, right? People all over on my Twitter feed, the Ducks are such dirty team. I don't even know. If, I don't know if they're dirty or not. All right? I don't know. I'm watching the game. I'm like, oh, that guy hit that guy. Oh, he hit him in the face. Is that good? Bad? I don't, oh, this time it's good, but that time it was bad. Like, oh, I don't know. Right? Everybody's getting so mad. These refs aren't calling anything. You don't know what to call yourself. All right? Okay? But we're all passionate. We're involved. People are talking about it. Susan walked in the house other day. She goes, did the Preds win? I'm like, what? what well, who are you? Like, what are you talking about? Did the Preds win, right? Luke's one wears Pred shirt that we bought because we were going. To get, we did get free tickets to a game. Somebody gave us. We bought him a shirt so he could fit in. Like you know, it's this crazy thing is happening. You know why? Because when exciting good things happen, we talk about it. I don't know. If, I don't know if anybody here listens much to sports talk radio in Nashville. But one of the stations that does sports talk radio in Nashville, the one that has the highest ratings, they don't talk about hockey at all through the year. Like, they have one segment where one player is on there. That's all you hear when you turn on now. Because this town is nuts about it. And here's what I have never understood, all right? Just be honest. This is my life. I'm not saying this as somebody that's looking out and casting judgment. One thing I've never understood in my life is how the one thing that we're reluctant to talk about is the greatest news that has ever been given. We'll talk about everything else in the world, but we are reluctant to talk about this. And when Jesus tells them to follow him, the one thing he tells them they're going to do is they're going to be fishers of men. He didn't give them anything else but that. And so whatever else, whatever means in your life, it means that you're going to be proclaiming the gospel. That means personally. That means you're sharing the gospel with people that you know. People that you work with, people that you shop with, people that you have kids in school with, people that you play sports with, people that you are socialized with. You tell them about Jesus. And it means that the question for us is not, will we be involved in the worldwide mission of Jesus to the nation? The question is, how involved can we get? I've told you this since I got here. There Three simple ways to be involved with the global mission of Jesus. First of all, you pray. And if you, you, I hate to say if you don't do anything else, pray, because that kind of seems to minimize it. But prayer is the most important thing you can do. Find avenues, research, ways to do it. The North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, Southern Baptist Convention do a great job of giving you opportunities to get emails or calendars where you can pray for specific, specific missionaries on a daily basis. Pray, 
pray, pray. We have trips coming up starting next Monday. Our first summer trip leaves as our um, students are going to camp at Lee University, Camp Generate. Pray for that week for God to move in a mighty way in our youth group. The next week is Vacation Bible School, which is still the biggest outreach event that we have on a regular basis. People in our church, Vacation Bible School, pray that God would move in the hearts of people that come to that, children that come to that. The week after that, we got some people getting ready to go to, to Brazil. They're going to be leaving for Brazil, and we're going to have people in Brazil for about two and a half weeks over an extended, staggered period of time. At the end of June, we have our group going to El Segundo and Santa Monica, the Sin Los Angeles, to work with Vacation Bible School and work with um, Sports Clinic. And then in the middle of July, our Center Kid teams are going to Campbellsville, Kentucky, where our kids... That program has grown immensely in the last three or four years. Kids will be going to camp for a week of hearing about Jesus. Pray, pray, pray. The second thing you can do is to give. In fact, in just a moment, you've got an opportunity for that. We started this tradition about three years ago where we just take a Sunday in December to give to causes all outside of this church and in May to give a day of extravagant giving for our summer mission projects and for camps. And in just a moment during this time of response, these uh, offering plates are at the front. You just bring it up here, and whatever you give in this moment will go directly towards that. We call it extravagant giving. We don't hesitate to call it that because we're asking you to pray about, think about, see how God wants to use you in the global spread of his kingdom. I want to be part of a church that says wherever, whenever, whatever. And then the third way is to go. Two practical steps for that. First of all, get a passport. An active passport. Don't wait till it's time to get ready for a trip. Just have one. I think an active obedience for every Christian living in the modern world is to have an active passport ready to go. And secondly, make yourself available to go. When you walk out of the sanctuary today, on a table out in the back will be three sheets of paper where you can sign up. Some of you have already signed up online or in your Sunday school classes, but this is an opportunity for you to be put on an email list where when we get opportunities for mission trips that we want to send people towards, that we want to push people towards, that we have a list of people we can send out and say, if you're interested, here's a weekend, here's a week, here's a month, here's an opportunity to do missions. That's been in Sunday school boxes for a few weeks. Some of you haven't read it in your Sunday school or haven't heard it in your Sunday school. We know that either you haven't read it or you haven't cared about it because we have only got like two of them back. Just this week, I got an email from Michael O'Neill who grew up in this church asking if I wanted to be a part of, and if we had people that wanted to be a part of, if I didn't want to, or with me, a trip in November to help be part of a strategic partnership to reach some of the sections of London, England with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's talked to me about it before. This week I got an email. We got a trip these dates. Do you have anybody that wants to go? We have an opportunity standing in September. On every weekend in September when uh, there's a church plant that's happening near the Phoenix, Arizona area that is looking for people to come down and just pass out cookies and invitations to their church start, their church plant, their launch date. And then on the weekend, on Sunday morning, all you do is take care of kids because they don't have enough volunteers to be kids ministry there. They need some volunteers to come and do that for them. So babies up through fourth or fifth grade, just teaching kids, helping with kids. After you pass out information, being part of a church launch. 
We've had a request from Arvada, California for a VBS group of people to come that can just help do VBS. Not to run it, but just come and help volunteers. It's their first one ever. It's a church that's growing and expanding. They need help with that. We've got a a request in the last week from uh, Los Angeles with one of the church planners that we have had beginning discussions about helping out some. Who They're starting a church. They need a place to do Bible study. They want to enclose and rework a garage carport situation in order to make it available for a Bible study room. And they're asking if we could send anybody out there to do that. We get requests on a regular basis. And I want to be a church that says wherever, whenever, whatever. For a weekend, for a week, for a season, for a lifetime. And so when you leave today, I want you to sign up for that email. And if you even you say, I don't know that I could ever do that. Well, first of all, you need to think about your attitude about that and following Jesus. But secondly, something will come up that will fit who you are. Jesus walked up and said, follow me. And immediately they did. Have you said to him, wherever, whenever, whatever. Just a moment, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a time of response. And during that time of response, our day of extravagant giving will happen. Bring your offerings forward, put them in the plates here. While you're there, on your way, stand around for a minute. Pray specifically for one of the trips for somebody that's going on a trip, for one of the trips that maybe you feel, maybe in the future might be you. And just ask the Lord to help you become a person that's willing to do whatever he asks. Let's pray together.